This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, today is a very big day for the sanctity of human life. The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments on the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case. You'll recall this is the case out of Mississippi that centers around that state's 2018 law prohibiting abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The central issue here is whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortion are constitutional or not. Well, as Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch argued in her original brief. In the nearly 50 years since Roe, science and society have marched forward. And during this time, the viability marker has moved from 28 weeks to 22 weeks in some cases, and science will only continue to advance. She added legislatures should be able to respond to those advances, which they cannot do in the face of flawed precedents that are anchored to decades stale views of life and health. And there's also this fundamental issue. Was the Roe v. Wade decision even constitutional? Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves made his opinion clear in a recent interview when he said that he believes Roe was wrongly decided and that there is no fundamental right in our U.S. Constitution to an abortion. And on that, he is certainly right. But what can we realistically expect to come out of the court on this issue of abortion that they are going to be hearing in the Dobbs case? We're going to get some thoughts on it now from Mark Crutcher, president of Life Dynamics. And Mark, so good to have you with us again. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for calling me, Janet. I appreciate it. Now, there have been other abortion cases over the years, people realize, that have ended up before the Supreme Court. We had the Texas case, the Louisiana case last year. How important do you think the Dobbs case is compared to those others or even cases involving abortion that have come before the court before? Well, I think they're all important. Um, but I think the, the several things that we need to keep in mind here. First off, I'm hearing one of the things that's bothering me here, I'm hearing a lot of pro-lifers uh, taking victory laps and already declaring victory. And uh, we're a long way from that, no matter how this decision comes out. We're a long way from victory over abortion. Yeah. Um, no matter what they say in this, in this case or the Texas case or any other case that comes before them, um, we've still got a ton of work to do. And so I, I don't want to see people taking this victory lap, and especially if it comes out badly for our side. And these people have already declared victory they're going to be heartbroken. They're going to be very discouraged, and there's no justification for that. Um, but the other thing is how this victory or how this, uh, this decision plays out is going to be totally dependent on, even if they overturn Roe, how do they overturn it? That's what's important. Yeah. Because if they say, if, if their decision is that, um, Roe was poorly decided because there's no constitutional right to an abortion and that it goes, goes back to the states and state laws are what, are what prevail. Um, our battle has just begun. And uh, we're going to have, instead of theoretically one big battle in the U.S. Congress or U.S. Supreme Court or wherever it might be, we're going to have 50 battles. Right. And so you're gonna, what you're going to see is some states, if it goes back to the states, um, 
setting up what are basically cottage industries in abortion. And California is already talking about this, that mm. they'll become the nation's abortion capital. Yeah. Um, and so states like California, New York, and Colorado, and, you know, um, Washington State and states like that will will just be become the uh, places where you go to have your baby killed. You may have states like Texas and Alabama and Louisiana and Mississippi that totally ban abortion. But that doesn't protect the babies in those states because they can always be taken to other states to be executed. Um, In effect, what their mothers do would be extradite them to other states. Well, that's the problem. You're right. It is a problem. Now, if the Supreme Court, instead of saying that Roe was poorly decided because uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the uh, Constitution is silent on abortion, therefore it's a states' rights issue. Um, like I said, we're we're in a bad shape. But if they say no, that's not the reason it was badly decided. It's badly decided because the unborn child is a living human being and therefore a person. Mm-hmm. There is no distinction between a person and a living human being. Um, if they if they ru- have a ruling that takes that position, that's a totally different situation because then you don't have states having the right to set up this cottage industry and abortion. Yes. Um, Every baby would be protected. But the other thing we need to recognize is uh, that would be the best outcome, obviously. But even if that were to happen, Janet, we're still in for a fight. We now live under the most godless and the most lawless administration in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you think that, the, for example, the Nixon administration was, was a lawless administration, it's Rebecca Sunnybrook Farm compared to the Biden administration. Oh, yeah. And they have made it crystal clear that uh, no matter what happens, they're going to fight for abortion. They're going to fight for it. And I think they would do it even to the extent of telling states to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling. Mm-hmm. I think they would even go to that extent. Yeah. Um, so the battle is not going to be over at, at, at this junction. There's no doubt, and, I, and I've written extensively, and I think you know because I've talked with you about this on, on your show before, there's no doubt that we're going to win this. But don't suppose that, that we're going to win it ultimately um, here on any, any of these cases, whether it's the Mississippi case or the Texas case, we still got work to do after those are decided. We are going to win. We are winning. We've been winning this battle since day one. But there's still lots of work to do. And I'm, I'm kind of reminded of uh, something Winston Churchill said one time during uh, World War II when things started going well for the Allies. And he said, do not suppose that this is the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning. Hmm. And that's what we need to look at. Good. We're at a we're at a turning point right now. And it and it's a it's a fork in the road. There's no doubt about it. Either way it goes, it's a fork in the road. But it's not the end of the it's not the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. Right. Right. And we still have work to do. Well, you're right on the money about that, I think, Mark. And, and I don't understand pro-lifers who would be taking premature victory laps. Have we not been watching the Supreme Court over the last several years? Every time we tend to take a victory lap, we get slapped down with a decision that actually comes out. So I never do that. But that, yeah, you're right about all of this. You also have a theory, I understand, on why the Supreme Court is hearing this case now. Why do you think Dobbs is on the docket? I think that 
first off, we don't we don't have any reason to trust any of these people. In my view of the people on the Supreme Court, the only person there that we can trust is uh, Clarence Thomas. Yep. The rest of them are wild cards. We and so let's don't be sitting here saying, "Oh, we know we can uh, can trust Amy Comey Barrett or or whatever." We don't know that. True. We do. We do not know that. We don't know if we can trust any of these people. And every time we've ever trusted them, they've stabbed us in the back. Mm-hmm. But I think if you were to go to the justices on the Supreme Court and say, we're going to put you under true serum, and I want to know what your honest opinion on abortion is. Um, I think you'd you'd probably get 12 different answers. (laughs) But the one thing that would be universal, and and this is true, I think, even in the general population of the American people, they'll say, look, I don't don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. I can listen to one side and be convinced of them, of their position, then listen to the other side and be convinced of their position. All I know is I'm sick and tired of it. I want it to go away. Hmm. I don't think the American people, you can go out and and poll the American people and say, do you consider yourself pro-choice or pro-life? And everybody will will take a position one way or the other or say I'm neutral or whatever, which is the biggest lie they tell is that they're neutral. (laughs) But I think the overwhelming opinion, no matter what their position is, I just want it settled one way or the other and be done with it. They're sick of hearing about it. I think there is an enormous amount of abortion fatigue in the American people, and I think that includes the 12 people on the Supreme Court. Mm. And I I think that what they would like more than anything else is to be able to hand this off back to the states and say, we're not taking any more cases on abortion. It's not a constitutional issue. It's not a federal issue. It's a states' rights issue. Interesting. You know what? We're going to have to pause for a short break. We'll be back with Mark Crutcher from Life Dynamics talking about this very important Dobbs case at the Supreme Court. Stay with us. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie. At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that first ultrasound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life, and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers around the world for only 
$5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. A big day before the Supreme Court, oral arguments taking place involving the Mississippi abortion law, outline abortions after 15 weeks. And I think Attorney General, State Attorney General Lynn Fitch has had some terrific things to say on this whole issue. Mark Crutcher, president of Life Dynamics, is with us. And I thought what you said right before we went to break, Mark, was really true, which is it might well be that the reason the Supreme Court agreed to take up the Dobbs case is there's a fundamental abortion fatigue that might influence the way they rule in this case. In other words, saying, just give it to the states already. We're sick of hearing about it. How likely do you think that is? Because, you know, who knows? Like you said, aside from Clarence Thomas, everybody else is a wild card. What do you think will come of that? What do you, nobody knows for sure, but do you really think that that's a pretty strong likelihood that they would do that? I think it would. I think uh, it's, they're basically, they can wash their hands of it. Yeah. The blood of the unborn, will, they, at least in their minds, uh, the blood of the unborn won't be on their hands anymore. It'll be on the hands of the state legislatures. And so I think it's, I think it's at least a 50-50 probability that they're going to overturn Roe on a state's rights argument hmm. so that they cannot be involved in it anymore. From that point forward, if they do that, anytime any abortion-related case comes up, they can they can say well we're not going to we're not going to grant it cert we're not going to hear it because it, abortion is a state's issue it's not a federal issue and they wash their hands of it yeah um, now now this and I is, think that that's the most likely outcome I hope you're right about that Fitch uh, for her part has said the question that needs to be decided is this can the people acting through their state legislature establish restrictions on abortion restrictions that protect legitimate interests of the state before this uncertain and disintegrating line called viability this is a key issue because you have as I understand under Roe and also the Planned Parenthood v. Casey decisions, states cannot protect unborn babies before the stage of viability, which is roughly 22 weeks of pregnancy. Now, if they take into account, Mark, the advances in scientific studies, all of the data we now have, and there's loads of it pointing to the humanity of the unborn baby, and we have these states passing heartbeat laws, we're going down you know, smaller and smaller um, the lengths of time that they're saying it's okay to have an abortion. Of course, we want it outlawed altogether. Do you think that they're going to make any comment whatsoever on changing that 22 weeks number or just avoid that if, in fact, what you're saying is true, your sense that perhaps they might just throw it back to the states altogether? What happens then with Roe and with the idea that there's some standard for the states concerning a week limit on abortion? What, what, how do we sort that all out? I don't think they'll they'll establish that. Okay. And l- l- let's make sure we understand something. Viability is a uh, red herring. Viability means absolutely nothing. It's a moving target. Um, we're seeing babies now routinely survive and have perfectly healthy lives after being born at gestational ages that would have been completely un- impossible 50 years ago. Right. 
So the issue of viability is determined by medical progress. It has nothing to do with the unborn child. Great point. Um, And so I think that they're all going to recognize that this whole trimester framework based on viability. And by the way, Roe versus Wade did not prevent abortion after viability. It didn't even allow states to prevent it. That's one of the biggest lies that's being told and has been told about this for the last 40-something years. Mm. Uh, because it said states can prevent, can can uh, uh, pass legislation preventing abortion or restricting abortion after viability unless it affects the woman's health. And then they went in Doe versus Bolton and gave a definition of woman's health that includes any circumstance under which a woman might be pregnant. Right. So there, this idea that that abortion was not legal after viability or that a state could prevent abortion after viability is a complete fabrication of the abortion lobby. And that's nonsense. So I don't think that the Supreme Court is, is going to want to continue on with that, uh, running that scam. And I think the most likely scenario is uh, actually a very simple uh, short uh, opinion that just returns it to the states and they wash their hands of it and walk away. Now, this is interesting. I went back to the 2005 confirmation hearing for Chief Justice John Roberts and people might remember his comments on overturning precedent. He called it a jolt to the legal system, which depends in part on stability and even handedness. Now, he's been one of the backstabbers along the way in a number of cases in recent years. So, you know, we're talking about John Roberts here, but given his statement on being methodical and being cautious about doing something that's really huge to overturn a gigantic precedent. I don't know what all the other justices have had to say in particular on that issue, but how much do you expect that might come into play given the fact that the pro-aborts are absolutely flipping out on the idea of Roe being overturned? Well, what you're talking about there is what in the legal terms is called stare decisis. Yes. It means that you restrict, you respect the future, the, the prior decisions of the court. Right. But if stare decisis is going to be what decides this, then that's another reason to overturn Roe. Mm. And because before Roe, stare decisis was that the unborn could be protected by the states. That's right. right. That's right. So then Roe was a violation of stare decisis. And if stare decisis is going to be, if, if we're going to say that because a prior court had ruled a certain way, therefore we're going to rule that same way, slavery would still be legal. Yeah, that's so, a good point. You know, this idea that, we're going to do it the same way we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it. That, that's not a legal argument. That's not a moral argument. That's not a, a constitutional argument. That's nonsense. So, again, I think that the Supreme Court recognizes all this. And you've even had people like even the, the most radical pro-abort that was ever on the court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. You know, and she made reference over the years to Roe versus Wade having been poorly decided. Now, she believed that abortion should be legal right up to the moment of birth. But she said herself that there were many flaws in Roe versus Wade, and one of them relates to this viability issue. Mm-hmm. Viability is a, is a moot point. It, it doesn't matter. And especially when, think about this, you're talking about the fox guarding the hen house. Um, the person who determines whether the unborn child is viable or not is the abortionist that's been paid to kill them. Yes. What do you think is going to happen? Yes, yes, of course. So the, the whole thing is, is, is a house of cards. And it's, you know, and 
several pro boards that have been on the Supreme Court have, have said um, in the past that it's on a collision course with itself because the logic in it is so poor. And so, and, that, and like I said, even Ginsburg alluded to that in several of her uh, writings on it. So I think that what they're going to do is try to stomp it out once and forever. I think they're going to either do one of two things. They're either going to bend to stare decisis and say, it's settled law and we're not going to deal with it. And that just continues things just like it is. Or they're going to overturn it on the state's rights basis. And that's going to, it's going to change the battle, but the battle's going to go on. Yeah. But you know, doesn't it make you furious to think that all of these people, you mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and there have been others who have talked over the years about how badly Roe was decided and how it was, you know, all of the bad legal arguments and the unconstitutionality. But look at what's happened in the last 48 years, Mark, the millions and millions and millions of children who have been murdered. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the continued battle that we have as pro-lifers to change human hearts and to allow God to change human hearts, to turn people around. We've seen some improvements, obviously, in these surveys on pro-life laws and so forth, but we need to be a culture that just flat out won't put up with abortion. Where do you think we are on that timeline right now? Well, you hit the nail on the head. And I'm telling you, um, we're working on a project right now that we'll be introducing here in, in the next few months. We've been working on it for quite a while. That's based on getting the American, the pro-life public, the American pro-life people, to not focus on the United States uh, Supreme Court, don't focus on the United States Senate, don't focus on the United States Congress, don't focus on the president, don't even focus on your state legislatures. Focus on your local community. Hmm. We have to go back to the roots of the pro-life movement. This was always a grassroots movement. And we need to go back to that day when our goal is to influence the people in our own communities, because that's how politicians then will respond. They respond to getting reelected. And if they say, and if we have turned our local communities very pro-life, the people who represent those communities will vote pro-life in Washington because they'll be afraid they're going to lose their job. That's right. That's the game that the pro-aborts have played for all these years, and that's why they continue to push this uh, America has a pro-choice majority lie. They've known that's been they've known that's a lie from day one, but they push it to influence the politicians in D.C. and they go and sit down with these people and they tell them if there's a if there's some pro-life legislation coming up or a ban on abortion coming up and you vote for it, you're going to be out of job. Right. And it scares them into, and that's how come, you know, people always say, how, why is it that we keep electing all these people who claim to be pro-life, and then when they get to Washington or they get to the state capitol, they vote, vote pro-abort? Well, there's the answer. Yeah. The answer is they've been convinced by the other side that it's in their best interest, their political interest, to vote pro-choice. So they'll come out here and say, look, I'm very troubled by abortion, and I'm unhappy with it, and I would never have one, and I would certainly try to discourage it, but I don't think it's my place to legislate against it, because that's that rhetoric that they're given by the abortion industry is what protects their job. We've got to turn that around. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah, we've got to go on the offense. I'm so tired of the spineless politicians who do exactly what you've been saying they do. Enough is enough. And going on offense and saying we will not put up with a a legislature uh, or lawmakers who go to Washington who are dodgy on this issue of abortion and saying one one thing to their constituencies and do another thing when they get into office because they're scared. We've got to just end that. And I'm looking forward to finding out more about what you guys are going to be doing, Mark. LifeDynamics.com, the website. Mark Crutcher, president of that great pro-life group. Thank you so much, Mark. God bless you, and thanks for being with us. Well, call me again, Janet. Will do. Thanks again for being here. Take care. We'll be back. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. By the way, the crazies are coming out over this Dobbs case. Are you really surprised? Of course not. You're going to have your usual lineup of feminists and kooks and abortion supporters of all stripes talking about the Dobbs case as being the end of the world. You know, it it just strikes me as unbelievably ironic, and they ought to be called out on their hypocrisy over this more than they are, that these same people who are continually concerned about Black Lives Mattering and talking about the evils of white racists and supremacists not caring about Black Lives couldn't care less about the black babies who are dying by abortion, by the millions. They couldn't care less. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're completely pro-abortion, stop talking about murder altogether because either all lives matter from the moment of conception to the moment of death or they don't. It is that stark. It is that black and white. And I don't know from a logical, reasonable, rational perspective how you could possibly craft an argument that negates that. I don't. I, I look at these people and I'm thinking, you have no credibility whatsoever. You have no moral credibility whatsoever. Zero. And it's not just the fact that you have black children dying in the womb by the millions. You have white children and Asian children and Hispanic children. It doesn't matter the skin color of the child or the race, the ethnicity, what have you. It's a baby created in God's image, period. End of story. We need more of the people on earth. This is God's will that we would Bring forth more children. I don't care what the climate freaks say about all of this and we can't have any more population. Oh, no, no, no. You know, yeah, okay. Well, that's a whole nother subject. But here's an example of the insanity. I don't know if you heard this, but New Hampshire Senator Jean Shaheen went off the rails. She's upset, not just because of the Dobbs case, but also because New Hampshire has a ban on abortions after 24 weeks gestation coming up in January. It's going to go into effect in January, and there are no exceptions for rape or incest. Yay, New Hampshire. I mean, move the date back, but, you know, it's a start, so this is good. And she's just going nuts about this. So she was part of this state's all-Democratic congressional delegation attacking this new abortion ban law and said that Dobbs could lead to further restrictions in the future. This is via the New Hampshire union leader. This was the money quote here from Senator Shaheen talking about the new abortion restrictions and the Dobbs case. Just kind of speaks for itself. This is cut one. 
this infringement on women's rights, on our privacy, on the attempt to have state control of our personal health really is what we would see in an authoritarian state. It's not what we would expect in New Hampshire. I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead, outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is of the public, particularly young people. Yeah, it's an authoritarian state that saves babies' lives. No, actually, it's the opposite. Look at the abortion rates in the old Soviet Union. Look at what communists think of abortion. Look what communists think of the family. Do some of those numbers. Run some of those numbers, Senator Shaheen. You're going to get a revolution if you don't get to keep killing babies. No, that's what somebody who's in favor of an authoritarian state believes. In my opinion, that's what an authoritarianism really looks like. You're going to have a revolution if you don't allow women to keep slaughtering their children. That's the stuff of Moloch, in my opinion. It, it's, it's absolutely, and it's not a matter of a woman's health to murder her own child. That has nothing to do with your health. You know, when you are pregnant, you normally are excited about the baby. You do everything in your power to make sure that you're eating right and going to your doctor's appointments and making adjustments as needed to make sure the baby is safe. Many women end up going on bed rest because there's some complication that could harm the baby if they don't get off their feet. All the things that we pregnant women have been through, you know exactly what it's like to try to bring a human life into the world, a human life you love more than you love yourself. And that's saying something because we live in a pretty selfish age. But I think most mothers love their babies more than they love themselves and they would do anything for that child and they wouldn't think twice about putting their lives right in front of a train if the baby was going to die if she didn't do it. So that's normal. And I'm tired of people believing that if you feel that way about your child, you're a weirdo. No, I think if you want to kill your child, that's evil. And you need to repent and you need to see the value of your own child, your own son or your own daughter. The fact that we have to reduce this to some kind of rational, reasonable, facts-based discussion depresses me only because it should be so patently obvious. It's kind of like having to argue that there's only male and female. I can't, there have been so many times over the last several years where I've said to myself, I can't even believe we're having to defend this. This is so unbelievably obvious. It's like saying we need to breathe in air. We need oxygen in order to live. No, we don't. We don't necessarily, I mean, you can forge an identity where you don't need oxygen. Okay, well, now how are you talking with, you can't have a rational discussion with people like that because they're irrational. But boy, we really need the power of prayer right now. We need the Lord to intervene here in order to save lives. It's so important. And by the way, this isn't the first Democrat who's gone nuts recently over the prospect of curtailing abortion in the United States. Do you remember when the Louisiana law came before the Supreme Court last year? And remember what good old then minority Democrat leader of the House Chuck Schumer had to say? Let's go back to those comments. Cut to. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. No problem there. Of course, we have to yell about the GOP being all about insurrection. But these people can talk about revolution and you're going to reap the whirlwind. These people can say whatever they want when abortion is concerned. And then they'll turn around, hypocrites that they are, and start to talk about a group of trespassers, not that they should have done what they did on January 6th, but basically a a group of people who kind of did nothing. Nobody drew a weapon and killed anybody. 
And those people are dangerous domestic terrorists slash insurrectionists. And let's keep them in jail for a year before they even get a fair trial. You got to see who these people really are, by the way. Uh, Chris Maidman, who is a GOP activist and past candidate for state representative in New Hampshire, was reacting to the Shaheen comments about a revolution and says, sounds like Shaheen is advocating for violence. Well, violence is the name of the game with abortion. So are we really that surprised? By the way, I want to tell you about another case. And you might not know about this particular case, but it is a very significant one on a little bit different subject. And the Daily Signal just put out a piece on this. It's a case called Cummings v. Premier Rehab Keller. And in this case, the Supreme Court will decide whether Congress meant to create a private right of action to sue for compensatory damages for emotional distress under existing federal civil rights laws. That's a mouthful. Let me tell you what's going on here. This has big implications, actually, for religious liberty. And you're going to understand why when I explain it to you. This involves this woman named Jane Cummings, who is deaf and legally blind, And apparently she made an attempt to get a physical therapy appointment at a place called Premier Rehab in Keller, Texas. She had chronic back pain. They're just a little small business and a top rehab clinic that also receives federal funds. Due to her disability, Ms. Cummings requested that Premier provide her with a sign language interpreter and they declined. Instead, they offered to refer her to a different clinic or to provide alternative accommodations. So they said that they could communicate with her through written notes or lip reading or gesturing. But she said this was insufficient to meet her needs. And then she asked rehab, Premier Rehab for an interpreter in 2016, came back a couple of times, was denied that. She chose another provider. She said her treatment was unsatisfactory. So then she turned around and sued Premier Rehab. Five years and several appeals later, the Supreme Court is now set to hear or- oral arguments in her case uh, today. Uh, yesterday, I, I should say, yesterday. Cummings' lawsuit against Premier Rehab alleges that its refusal to provide an interpreter caused her humiliation, frustration, and emotional distress. So she's not suing based on the fact that they injured her or impaired her in some way or did some physical damage to her. She's saying, I'm suing this rehab facility because in not providing me with an interpreter that did what I thought they should do, you subjected me to humiliation, frustration, and emotional distress. And therefore, I should be able to sue you under federal civil rights law. Now, that's opening a new can of worms. And that really does have some very scary implications for religious liberty. And we'll get into that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Over the past several weeks, I've been thrilled to see so many of you step up to rescue over 75 families through the Ministry of Heart for Lebanon. Thank you for providing survival essentials. But most importantly, we're grateful that you've helped share the hope of the gospel with hurting refugee and poverty-stricken Lebanese families. If you didn't get a chance to participate, please know the need in Lebanon remains urgent. It's never too late to give. Visit heartforlebanon.org to find out more. That's heartforlebanon.org. 
If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers around the world for only five $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. It's the Dobbs case before the Supreme Court in oral arguments today. Yesterday, a very important case also came before the Supreme Court. Cummings v. Premier Rehab Keller. Now, that may sound like a mouthful. They usually are. They're these long, long names of these cases at times. This has to do with a woman by the name of Jane Cummings, deaf and legally blind. She tried to make a physical therapy appointment at a little rehab facility in Keller, Texas, and said, I want an interpreter. And they said, we can't give you a full sign language interpreter, but we'll give you some alternative accommodations. So maybe gesturing, lip reading, writing notes back and forth. No, no, no. Turns out she goes to another place. She doesn't get the treatment she wanted and comes back and sues Premier Rehab for emotional distress. Now it's before the Supreme Court. Now, as the Daily Signal points out, the Supreme Court has never articulated whether such compensatory damages include damages for emotional distress. Advancing a theory of emotional distress damages under federal civil rights law may sound appealing, but the impact of such an outcome could be devastating to small businesses that form the backbone of an American of the American economy. Uh, federal anti-discrimination laws function like a contract. So businesses that receive federal funding agree to comply with those laws, accepting that they might be held liable if they violate them, violate them. And courts have allowed victims to sue businesses that violate these laws. But it's very doubtful, they point out, that Congress intended to include damages for dignitary harms. But you got to remember something. This Supreme Court is all about dignity, baby. Go back and read Justice Kennedy's opinion in the Obergefell case. The whole reason that this man and his four cohorts reinvented marriage is because they believe in dignity. Dignity, it's all about dignity. It doesn't matter what the law says. This is the same court, by the way, after we got some Trump appointees 
on the court that made the horrific Bostock decision. And that had to do with the redefinition of sex in federal civil rights law. And you know darn well when we put into place those provisions of not being able to discriminate on the basis of sex that they did not have in mind the idea of someone believing that they're a man on the inside or woman on the inside and identifying as the opposite sex. And yet the silly court justices who decided that this somehow is retroactively applicable these i'm telling you you cannot you cannot understate how off the rails people's brains have become i am convinced that if you are not grounded in the word of god you will go insane you will become nebuchadnezzar eventually down on all fours eating grass like a cow until god turns your face to heaven and your sanity returns we're at that stage in this republic I'm not saying everybody's insane, but we're closely approaching insanity in too many areas of this culture. So I wouldn't be so sure that Congress, I'm sorry, not Congress, but the Supreme Court is not capable of turning around and saying, well, you know, as a matter of dignity, you really should be able to sue for emotional distress. Now, here's where it gets scary. What happens to a Jack Phillips Because Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker who went through so much litigation as to whether or not he could refuse to sell a cake to two men celebrating their quote unquote faux wedding. uh, We had that whole thing. And then he got a very narrow decision from the Supreme Court. And then they turned around and sued him over a transgender cake as if there is such a thing. I mean, it's such a setup. And, And then you had I think you also had like a satanic cake. Who knows? The whole issue is the message, whether or not you have to communicate a message with which you don't agree. But what happens if emotional distress is part of the equation? Do you think the LGBT activists might target Christian businesses for emotional distress if they try to bring them into compliance with things like baking homosexual, quote unquote, wedding cakes or providing flowers for a homosexual so-called wedding? Things like this. Uh, It would be open season, folks. It would be open season if the court goes the wrong way on this. So while you're praying about the Dobbs decision, pray about that one. One more thing having to do with legal cases. This actually is some good news because I like good news. Don't you like good news? Well, there's this hero pastor in Canada. And I know we've talked about him before, Artur Pavlovsky. And he is a prominent Canadian pastor. He is now free to criticize lockdowns and restrictions on Christian worship in response to coronavirus because an appellate court has suspended the enforcement of a lower court ruling that required him to state the government's preferred narrative about the lockdowns every time he made public remarks. You don't really want to live in Canada these days, do you? But Rebel News, which has been following this case from the beginning, Ezra Levant did a video describing what the court did. Uh, That little excerpt I just read to you was via Christian Post. But listen to what Ezra Levant reported about this new court decision involving this Canadian pastor. This is cut three. The Alberta Court of Appeal stayed the sentence given to Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, his brother David Pavlovsky, and to restaurateur Chris Scott, setting aside the bizarre and unconstitutional provisions that forced those men to denounce themselves after any public comment relating to the pandemic or the lockdowns. Justice Adam Germain, a disgraced liberal appointee, made that 
order a few weeks ago. It was very punitive. It was abusive. It was Soviet style commanding these three men that if they said anything that he didn't like about the pandemic, they had to immediately follow it up with his own bizarre little judge written script. We learned in court today that the prosecution didn't even want that, didn't even ask for that. That kooky, kooky judge put that in. Well, the grown-ups came back today, and the Alberta Court of Appeal stayed the enforcement of that and ordered an expedited hearing. I'm so optimistic. It's not the final battle, but it's a great beginning to what I hope is a freedom-oriented ending here. Credit to the three men themselves, Arthur Pavlovsky, David Pavlovsky, and Chris Scott, for standing up to this shocking abuse of prosecutorial resources, the punitive uh, steps taken by the Alberta government. Congratulations to the Court of Appeal for doing the right thing. That's right. And it's an answer to prayer for a lot of us who have been praying for this brave pastor who is from uh, is somewhere in Eastern Europe and has been on video. He was the guy originally who was caught on video at his church. It was actually pretty awesome. The cops came in and tried to shut down his church service. And he's like, you bunch of Nazis out. That's what you do to Nazis. Get out, get out. But you know what? If you've lived under communism, you don't put up with it, do you? Those people know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing because they've lived through it before. So God bless this man. This actually, this ruling, let me explain what was being discussed there in that little clip in case you're confused on what happened. First of all, backing up, this pastor was arrested on May 8th for holding in-person worship services in violation of a court order. This is via Christian Post. In addition to requiring him to recite an addendum Whenever he criticized the government restrictions on corporate worship and other lockdown requirements, Germain's ruling, this is Adam Germain, was the justice who made this terrible decision, required this pastor to pay a $23,000 fine and complete 120 hours of community service. How evil is that? Now, this was what was part of the, the order given to the pastor. He was required to issue an addendum anytime he wanted to speak out against Alberta Health Services health orders in a public gathering or public forum, even on social media. And so this was the addendum. This is what the pastor was forced to say. I am aware that the views I am expressing to you on this occasion may not be views held by the majority of medical experts in Alberta. While I may disagree with them, I am obliged to inform you that the majority of medical experts favor social distancing, mask wearing, and avoiding large crowds to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Most medical experts also support participation in a vaccination program. Unless for a valid religious or medical reason, you cannot be vaccinated. Vaccinations have have been shown statistically to save lives and to reduce the severity of COVID-19 symptoms. Well, now he doesn't have to utter that newspeak, forced newspeak, any longer. And he had even lamented that he had to lie every time he made remarks about the government's response to COVID-19. He says, every time I open my mouth, I have to lie to appease the corrupt judges and corrupt court systems and the corrupt politicians. So he's really happy now because he says the whole thing was un-Canadian and illegal and against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and just simply wrong. He cited the ruling as evidence that, quote, we have not lost our nation yet and there are still good people everywhere. Can you imagine coming from Eastern Europe with its history of communism and you come to Canada and you're like, yes, I'm home free. This is great. Finally, I made it to the West. And then they're like, no, we're a bunch of Nazis here too. Nope, nope, nope. Shut down the churches. It's for your health. Let me get out my 
my battering ram or my little club or, you know, you see these videos online, like in places like Australia, we're going to fire rubber bullets at you for your health. If you get out on the streets and protest what the government is forcing you to do to lock you down and control you over COVID-19, it's we're going to look back at this period in history and just shake our heads over how foolish we all were. Not all of us. How, how foolish they were is what I really mean to say. Keep this pastor in your prayers, brave man of God. Thank you for being with us. We'll leave it right there, but we'll be back with you next time, Lord willing, right here on Janet Mufford Today. Mm-hmm.